Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. You're in the queue. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Queue. This episode of the podcast, we were able to talk to Katie Terrazas with Catalyst Media Design out of the greater Phoenix area. Super fun getting a chance to talk to her and her experience, not only within the digital media landscape, but also her experience working for some major brands and working in the on the media buying side. So if you're out there and you're working hard in the agency biz and you're you're probably going to uh, have some familiarity to Katie's background and, and her upbringing into the media biz. Uh, she worked with some big brands like Fuddruckers, did some event planning, worked on the radio side, and then bought a lot of TV for many years and then moved over into uh, the digital space, the, the scary world of digital. We hope you guys enjoy it. Um, this will be coming up just a short way. But again, this podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. If for all your digital media media needs and you need somebody out there to who can help you navigate that digital landscape whether you're an agency or brand go check out q1media.com that's q1media.com we hope you enjoy this episode with katie drazas welcome to the q katie thank you for joining us um i know it's your first time to austin uh what's your what's your thoughts so far i really like it i yeah. like texas though i um went to college in eastern New Mexico, and okay. so West Texas and Lubbock is like where in eastern feel, New Mexico. Um, Portales is where oh, Eastern Portales. New Mexico University is. So yeah, I went there for a year. Nice. So my college life was very West Texas. So I feel a little bit at home in Texas. And yeah. Dallas is like not my thing really, because <laughs> I'm from New Mexico. It's very yeah. Texas. So Austin feels like that like happy medium of like New Mexico. There's a Texas. lot of people that from Austin <laughs> that tend to go west, even even with the Marfa experience and all that stuff with Big Bend. And you yeah. know, I know it's such a big, it's a long drive though. People don't realize how long of a drive it is from New Mexico to say even Austin. It's like an 11 hour drive. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't want to drive that. No. So uh, I want to ask you, I kind of start off with this. Uh, you can tell me any any brand, but basically, what is your favorite taco place? And you mean for, from Phoenix place. or New Mexico, there might be, you can name anyone. Taco place. Okay. So I'll be super honest. My favorite taco place, and I wouldn't normally say this, but my mom's tacos are the best. Oh, um, of course. Yeah. And I don't want her to hear that. I still get a big head about it. But um, tacos in a restaurant are honestly not my favorite. Mm -hmm. But being from New Mexico, enchiladas are my favorite and breakfast burritos. So Tomasitas, the original Tomasitas in Santa Fe is by far my favorite. Okay. So that are, do they do the the green or red sauce there? Do you do Christmas style? I personally am a red chili girl. I always have been. Um, But yes, you can get Christmas. Yeah. That was something I learned going through New Mexico is you have to kind of make a decision at an early age, what you're going to be, red or green, yeah. or just go for both, which I don't think people realize how hot it is. Yeah. I My dad is a Christmas guy, um, but most people, I think, if you're from New Mexico, you pick a side. Yeah. My dad's a transplant, so. Yeah. Um, he's, the, he's the oddball. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mom's a red person. I don't know. I just think I, I grew up just having more red. I'll eat chopped green chili, like fresh green chili, but I don't love the sauce uh-huh. of a green chili. Yeah. Red chilies by far. 
Yeah, I just I know that regardless, your, my mouth was on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to you have to be knowing what you're getting into. Oh, and being from Texas, you, I thought <laughs> I had a good palate for it. Walked into a place in Las Cruces and was was sorely mistaken. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so you're from New Mexico. I'm from New Mexico originally. Yep, born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. Um, the rest of my family all lives in Santa Fe. My mom grew up in Santa Fe, so both cities very. They're about 45 minutes apart. If you're not familiar with that area. Um, so yeah, both. What'd you like about growing Northern up there? Northern New Mexico. Um, I mean, it's home. So growing up there, I probably didn't love it. Cause I felt like there's not a lot to do there. There's not professional sports teams. We didn't get the best concerts on the great, you know, Fridays and Saturdays. Um, but now it just feels, you know, the, I feel like the food's better than anywhere else, but yeah, um, it's, it's your place. It's, it's your my home. home. Yeah. And you do get you get that like special home feeling even when we fly in mm-hmm. to Albuquerque now. Yeah. And when you went to college, you went to you stayed in New Mexico. I did. I stayed in New Mexico. Um, so I, I went to I had like the real college experience, I guess you would call it for a year. And then I moved back to Albuquerque. Portales, New Mexico itself is very, very small. Um, there's like a Walmart and a Sonic. Like, that's <laughs> it. So um, I just needed, you know, more lifestyle, more liveliness, everything. So I moved back to Albuquerque, um, went to UNM and um, part-time because I got an internship with a radio station, which is how I started in marketing was right in college. Um, was that a good, fun experience? I know radio was, can be radio can awesome. be fun. I stayed with the radio station for about three and a half years. Um, I was a promotions intern and then worked in the promotions department and marketing department. Um, and yeah, that's how I got my start. So I... I loved it. Yeah. How yeah. was, I mean, talk about that, I guess, back in the radio days, I guess. And it's still a big, big driver for, for advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, with the promotion side of marketing, what did you learn from that experience in terms of now taking it, when you think about it now, you're like, oh, wow, what did I, what did I glean from that? Yeah, I think the best thing that I, because I worked so much on, and this was years ago, before there was really digital, we didn't sell digital radio banner ads or anything. Like, it was just still back in the day when we we really did non-traditional revenue wasn't digital it was events mm-hmm. and so that's what the marketing team put on we put on these bridal galas and movies in the park and we'd sell booths and sponsorships in that way and so being able to be a part of those and then now as I transitioned later in my career to the agency side I was able to I feel like come from a better place of like understanding those in negotiating those sponsorships and understanding like what all goes into it. Yeah. The the client, the strategy involved, the stations commitments, the promos, all that stuff. It's it's a huge, huge piece. That's funny. You say, I mean, a lot of radio stations didn't really have a real website and if they did, it was just basically for playlists, you know, exactly. It was like, we showcased our talent, you know, the on-air jocks on it. But other than that, it was like, first show like it it, nobody really went there we didn't sell ads we barely you know just didn't even have content on there really Mm -hmm. um even when I was just starting to leave it was you were starting to have the need for a Facebook page but it was like the station's Facebook page not all the talent had um you know social media whereas now that's like a huge driver 
um, for the influencer side of the radios. Oh God. Yeah. Influencers. That's a conversation we can get into (laughs) as well. Um, with the type of micro influencers now kind of being a thing and, you know, I guess the, the amount of bots or fake accounts that people have and then obviously drives in that business. Um, so yeah, then you made a transition, uh, from the radio station and I guess, was that when you moved over to Fuddruckers or? So I actually worked at an agency in Albuquerque, um, Mm -hmm. for three or four years. Okay. And started as a junior buyer. And at the time, it was you were either a print buyer and you had like that print negotiation national background, or you were a broadcast buyer. And then you sort of bought digital on the side. Yeah, from your TV stations, basically. Um, And so, yeah, I was a TV. And radio buyer That's for like three or four years. And a lot of times those TV stations or radio stations would throw in. Exactly. That as it was added value. Added value. Yeah, digital was added value. And now it's a huge currency. Right, exactly. And you were like, what's a CPM back in the day? You know? <laughs> right. What is that? Uh, yeah. so uh, so you start on the buying, so that's kinda where you got your buying chops. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went over to the brand side, which uh, I'm I'm I did. Happy to say, huge Fuddruckers fan growing up. <laughs> yeah, so Fuddruckers was one of our clients. Um, and they came to me one day and they said, you know, we're having these conversations with our larger agency because I want the local, um, three restaurants were our client. And, and he said, you know, we're working with our larger agency. We're thinking about bringing this in house. What would your advice be to that? And professionally, I was like, here's what you need to do. Here's who you should look for. And internally I was like, oh my God, that's the job I want. Um, so I sat on it for a few days and called him and I said, is there any way you would consider me for this job? And he did, thankfully. Um, and so, yeah, I worked for a group of franchisees. We had three restaurants in New Mexico um, and then a whole host of restaurants here in Texas. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was my brand, how I got into the brand side of it. Did y'all, did, did you do events or what was there, is there certain like tasks that you were actually sort, sort of in, headed, headed up? Or yeah, it was in? a lot of local store marketing because it was the franchise side. We did have the agency, the larger like national agency that would produce our radio spots, um, TV, if we, you know, had the budget for that. Um, or any sort of collateral that we could use. So it was a lot of local restaurant marketing. So a lot of um, door-to-door, like, hey, business, would you like some cookies, and would you consider using us for your catering lunch? Um, Or a lot of coaches, you know, coaches teams. We did a lot of association stuff with, um, you know, the football association or the, the coaches association or all of these. That's how Many I went there, sports. actually. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, with a lot of the sports, they, they, they definitely went after that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. No, you're okay. um, well, the events being a big deal, you know, the that you would drive in. Was that it, it, kind of a guerrilla marketing tactic yeah, that they would? Yeah, it was. It was. And then it was. Still p- on the PR side, I guess. It you know, was. In terms of. It was. It was a lot of just relationship building, mm-hmm. which is, I think, still what drives a lot of that local store marketing. I mean, we talked to some of our clients about that still today. Yeah. Um, and then the other part of it was the LTOs, so the limited time offer type menu items that would come up, mm-hmm. which is how I started using paid social. Oh, it was really? Still like, it was still where you could make an impact with just organic postings. Mm-hmm. So you would do content, and you could do a lot more contesting then <laughs> that you can't do anything now. Yeah, um, there's a lot of limitations now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I would just post like, hey, come in, you're the first 
person that buys this menu item and you'll get a free milkshake or whatever. Um, so we did a lot of testing like that. And did it, did you have a good results? Yeah. I mean, people would show up. Yeah, absolutely. I what mean, year was this, I guess? What day? It was probably 2006, 2007. So, so really early really on. Really early. And, I mean, Facebook yeah. had only been around for a few years at that point. Yeah. So that, I mean, you could buy ads yeah. and we were buying ads, but spending little to nothing cents on the yeah, dollar really yeah it was like 20 was there an audience that you were geared toward or is it just the followers that you had it was mostly just the followers that we had like whoever we could get to like our pages each of the stores had their own page and we would you know set up table tents or whatever encouraging people to join our social media audience um yeah i mean it's really it cool wasn't even instagram really wasn't even a thing yet I mean, yeah, when that started fun. happening, though, people started taking pictures of their burgers. Yes. <laughs> and, <busting laughs> out and putting a really cool filter on it, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, that social media did change the game. And you're right, the brands uh, having to increase their presence on those and then also just find ways to engage. I mean, that's basically mm-hmm. what you're doing just in a different forum yeah. and creating content. Um, so that's, that's, as you know, it's it's that never really stops. It's just the medium maybe changes a little bit. Right. Um, so yeah, so working with the brand, how was that different? I mean, did you like that? I mean, I know you went from media buying mm-hmm. radio and then you went to the brand side, uh, you know, after all of that experience and then maybe heading back into the buying side, Yeah. did you, how was that transition again? Cause you were at on the brand side for quite some time. I was, um, I, it was good for me. I loved the brand side, um, and would, would consider going back at some point in my career. Um, but when I, moved from New Mexico to Arizona. My husband's job transferred us to Arizona. I knew that I needed something that was a little bit more social. And so I just felt like the agency would be a better fit for me. And going back to the broadcast buying side of things um, just felt like a natural like progression of my career. So, so were you already buying, uh, you were buying TV, but when did you, I guess, kind of transition into buying more digital? Was that was there a shift that you thought, or like maybe a time frame of when you st- started to see that shift? Yeah, I so even when I s- came back to the agency side, digital was definitely a bigger presence, but it was it was like you had two budgets, and you still had to convince your clients that they needed to have digital on the plan. Like it was no longer added value; it was just starting to be where you didn't want to buy your digital from your TV station. You needed to have it in the plan, but you didn't really know as a traditional buyer where you should go and what you should do. So um, the agency actually put on lots of like digital, mini digital conferences for us, which was great. Um, so we would have multiple vendors come in for three or four days and just like pitch us what they thought we should be doing. Um, and then we'd sort of make decisions and test, you know, different things from there. What were the trendy um, tactics back then? I mean, it, it was when programmatic was really in its like infancy sa- stage. So pre-fraud. Yeah. <laughs> it, and you didn't really know what fraud was. Yeah. Then. You were just yeah. like you were buying it and hoping that people, the right people were getting it. And, and getting it for using, super cheap. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you were using your same TV targeting as your digital targeting, which now we know is definitely not the route you should go. But then we were like, well, it's the same audience. It'll hit the same people. Um yeah, and so I focused on broadcast TV, and then I realized, you know, this isn't this this. I need to branch out. I need to understand what else is happening. Um, so I 
purposefully made the switch to a different agency that was more well-rounded in all areas where I knew what I was doing on the traditional side, but I needed to learn from somebody on the digital side. So um, yeah, I had great partners and um, co-workers that helped explain all of that. And now I've, I've probably been trying to master what, whatever you can master for the last three years yeah. for digital. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot and it's ever changing. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you can get used to the programmatic side, like mm-hmm. you started in that space, um, with that agency, but then that, uh, that space evolved. And right. even now with a lot of the data, uh, restrictions that are being, you know, kind of forced upon the industry, uh, things are starting to change. It's harder for, mm-hmm. for advertisers and, and agencies to really, uh, help their clients find that niche audience, which, you know, maybe it was kind of like wild, wild west back then, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, probably when you first started in the programmatic space and now it's a little bit more like, okay, well, these, are, these are the rules. Right. Um, and now we have to kind of abide by them. Yeah. Um, was there any particular tactics you would always typically recommend to clients? I mean, in the, in those days, was there like, okay, well, we need a social media presence. Is it like Google or is there you know, what, what was like a big driver for clients to go, okay, well, yeah, we definitely need that. I think the easiest transition for me was adding on the streaming audio and now streaming TV because it's, it's still treated like a traditional TV station or radio station. It's just another channel. Mm -hmm. It's just another place where the audience is. So that was an easy progression for me to feel like it should be part of any plan. Um, and, and then you knew the what next, radio and audio right, was. <laughs> right, <laughs> so. exactly. Um, and then the the next progression I thought was really the programmatic, just because of the dramatic targeting that you could do and the results that we were starting to see so quickly. Um, what think, audio channels did you, on prog- on uh, digital, did you all typically hit up? Um, for a long time, it was just Pandora. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were a, a, the biggest player. They probably, probably still are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more options now, and there's more... I feel like it's now that you can buy it programmatically, you can buy podcasts and everything else. It's a little bit better, but for years, Pandora was just, they were the only option that could target as well as, as any other programmatic, um, company. And, um, yeah, they seemed to really be the only ones that could deliver on what they were on what everyone was selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The driver, they were definitely the, the, the ones out front. Now there's paid subscriptions and yeah, Cutting out the ads. There's the Spotify's, the right. um, the title, which is that even a thing anymore? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Z and, and Beyonce have it somewhere. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they own. They have enough money to keep that thing afloat. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you started getting the the TV, the connected TV OTT mm-hmm. space uh, that has gained so much more traction over the past two to three years yeah. because of the amount of um, not only just younger millennials, elder millennials kind of getting to that, you know, 30 plus age range. Um, but also, um, you know, the, even the baby boomers are like, cut the cable, like what is going on? Right. So there's some markets like 30 to 40% um, without cable. Right. Um, how's that buying process been? And how's that kind of situation evolved over time? Um, well, I think it's starting to be where, we're feeling as buyers the need to buy it programmatically and it's just hasn't quite evolved to the place where we need it to be. Um, the measurement is still really hard. You can't really measure it on the CPM, you know, cause you're not getting clicks or anything. So you can't really measure it just on CPM, like your costs. Um, and you can't really measure it on 
GRPs, you know, because the impressions don't quite equal out exactly the same. Um, so the measurement's tough. I mean, you can measure it on viewability, but if you're really buying true connected TV, you should already be and, at a 97, yeah. 98%. So um, I think that that's probably where I see the next like phase of media really going is understanding how to measure that, how to make everybody on the same playing field. Um, I mean, even if you buy a Hulu audience and then you buy a, you know, a, an audience on another streaming platform, Roku, um, you could be buying this, the same audience, but they're going to be slightly different. And then are you, you know, the frequent, you know, there's just so many questions. Yeah. And you need somebody to help navigate that <laughs> because yeah. you're, I mean, you need, you need some, a trusted digital person to do that. Right. Um, and that's also difficult too, because there are a lot of players in the space that will say, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll put you, we'll give you a, a, a $25 CPM and put you on connected TV and mm-hmm. OTT to, only. And you're like, wait, that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. But is it true over the top right. inventory? And that's a huge challenge. That there's a lot of providers out there that don't, that don't offer it. Yeah. Well, and now everybody's starting to, to offer connected TV and, you know, everybody from, you know, iHeart and then there's programmatic partners that say that that's all they do so it's hard to navigate just because now there's so many players in the game well they see all the money that's gonna be driven i think it's it's funny how the tv industry especially the traditional tv conglomerates decided you know we don't really need to play in the space right now hulu and those roku and sling they're all you know whatever and within the past two years they've realized oh uh, this is going that way and we need to get in the game. So now they're selling their own inventory, right. which it's kind of, it's backwards. They're a little late to the game, unfortunately, uh, because they're only able to buy their station properties um, and maybe not have the access like a programmatic company would mm-hmm. in buying, a, buying across an audience across Hulu, Sling, and whatever, YouTube, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So as far as social media goes, we kind of hit on a little bit yeah. and you've had such a, um, a plethora of experience in social media, not only in your Fuddrucker days, but starting in back in like when social media really kind of was hitting it off big. What's really uh, what what's really changed in that in your from your perspective, and also just like now heading into kind of this like tightening up zone. Uh, how has that been tough with your clients and dealing with that? Um, yeah, well, it's definitely changed from the fact where you, you really can't just run or- organic. Like, that doesn't work anymore. You have to have a paid campaign um, to for anybody to see your ads. And now, um, I think for a while, you saw how well it w- was converting. And so you were getting so many conversions on paid social. And now with all of the tightness of audience and you can't quite find exactly what you're looking for always sometimes you can um, but it's a lot more trial and error I feel like now than even it was last year or the year before how are the clients responding to that is that something like a conversation that you you have to have it is and a lot of clients are questioning whether you know Facebook should even be on their plans Um, I still think that it should there's still a huge audience there Um, but but the perception to a in the world and the perception to clients is that nobody's on Facebook nobody's going there um which is not the case not the case people don't want to admit they're on Facebook now which is which is interesting how that's uh, even evolved in Mm -hmm. 2009 2010 everybody's like you're not on Facebook what a loser you know if nobody was on if you weren't on Facebook you were kind of like an oddball 
and now uh, with I'd say probably since the whole scandal with Cambridge Analytica and just the data that they collect, uh, there's a stigma of like, Mm -hmm. well, now I I don't want to admit that I'm on Facebook. I'll admit that I'm on Instagram. Sure. (laughs) But it now, and then what, I guess with Instagram and, you know, Snapchat kind of came in for a little bit, but is that a a big driver for your clients? Is that, is that a need for them to want to be on those on Instagram? Definitely. Um, it's definitely more awareness than I think Facebook was, you know, in its heyday. Um, but I, for sure. I mean, we handle a group of shopping malls throughout the country, and it's a huge driver for them. Because um, just because you can so showcase so much in an Instagram story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different. It's a different experience for mm-hmm. that user, especially when I, I have a feeling that Instagram will get to the same spot that Facebook is kind of in right now. Mm-hmm. Like maybe just the over dilution of it <laughs> and just the difference of between the two and people will get a little fed up with it but maybe we haven't really reached that mark yet but it yeah, sounds like no, advertisers are maybe starting to get there they're definitely questioning facebook i, we, I we've had mm-hmm. multiple conversations with our clients about that um but it's it's still where a large percent of the audience is mm-hmm. especially um for our clients right now and with that said, I guess, and now the tightness tightness of the, you mentioned kind of you have to take a, a shotgun approach a little bit. A little bit. Are they okay yeah. with that? Is that something you have to talk with them about? Say, hey, look, you know, we just don't have the same capabilities we had several months ago. Like, Yeah, I mean, as long as I, most of our clients are really open to those conversations and we are constantly testing. Um, and as long as we can show the measurement of, yes, this worked or no, it didn't, but we made these tweaks, you know, is where it's con- it's a constant evolution of, you know, that momentum. So, do you see uh, certain tactics, not just social media, but within you know any sort of digital realm, being a little bit better with with say an ROI? Say they need leads and conversions, and that's their number one drivers. They're like a typical like, okay, I know that you know what the strategy is going to be here. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean it a lead isn't always just a lead, right? Where is that lead coming from? Where do they have to go to, to how many hoops do they have to jump through to get that lead? So everyone's still a little bit different. I mean, we have clients that, you know, you have to take a small test before you can be considered a lead, or you have to go through two pages of an um, application before it can be a lead. So every everyone's just still so different. Um, yeah, do you, do you see also with just, the agencies that there's so many, I mean, everybody's there's agencies all over and you're, you know, in the Phoenix area, greater Phoenix area, there's probably what hundreds <laughs> yeah, yeah. within the, the greater area. Um, is it hard for clients to find, you know, good agencies? I mean, is there like a, is that, is that difficult for like that space, you know, to try and compete? Um, I probably, um, I guess I haven't really ever put myself in those shoes of a client. I mean, we're constantly doing new business. Um, and our clients have stayed with us for five, six, seven, eight years. Our, our, so we have really long tenure with our clients, um, which is really important to us. And it's, it's better for a client if they can find a trusted partner in their agency that they can build year over year. Cause then you can have that same growth. Um, and they know the brand, the yeah, creative exactly. process. Exactly. Um, and as far as creative goes, that's a whole nother ball game. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do you, I, with that process and creating a strategy around campaigns, um, you did that at Fuddruckers. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how's that process been with you know your clients, I guess, moving and transitioning over into the digital space? Because obviously they're two different mediums, whether right. it's radio, TV. 
um, and you can't just run the same ads. <laughs> sure. Um, so at our agency, we're paid media only. So mm -hmm. we um, either work with creative partner agencies mm -hmm. um, or the client does their creative themselves. Right. So a lot of times what we do is um, we have what we call a production schedule. And so our traffic manager outlines all the specs and all the information. And then a lot of times we'll add um, you know, the strategy of what this was supposed to be and like the t target that it's going to just so that the creative team has that that extra information. So, you know, for a water park, if we have a set of ads going to moms and then a set of ads going to teens, we don't want it to look the same. It no. needs to look slightly different. So, um, yeah, we give that context, I guess is yeah. the best way to put it. Well, it's good to have the strategy person. And it's good that, you know, when you have somebody that you can do the creative to, yeah. you know, that's that, you know, that does a good job and mm -hmm. that can work with you. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that obviously is really key. And then just having somebody, a client that's easy to work with and understands that, which they all are, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Everyone's super easy to work with. Uh, for those people out there that, you know, or in the agency business, they, they know there's, there's definitely some difficulties there, but, uh, that's, that's always the fun pl place about navigating this, this industry, yeah. uh, with navigating the digital space. Uh, is there anything new and kind of fresh that you see that's on the horizon? Um, that maybe is like the trendy, trendy topic right now. Um, I, so at the digital conference this week, the connected TV was, is just all over the, all over the place. Um, and then still, and it has been for years, transparency. So mm -hmm. just making sure all clients and vendors and everyone is on the same page. Transparency is still such a big issue. Um, and just making sure you're on top of it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which Clients demand it now, especially yeah, with do. digital. Yeah. That's the difference is that TV, you kind of could show the GRPs or mm -hmm. you know, your, your reach and frequency and whatnot and kind of get away with that. But digital kind of pigeonhole itself with all the data. Right. You're exactly right. And clients really do demand it. I mean, we just this year invested in um, a dashboard platform at the agency. So our clients now have access to their dashboard and can see it in real time up to, I think it's like a 24 hour delay, um, you know, for the, those of them who want the access. And then some of them, we can just send them a report pretty much at, at any point throughout the month that's real time data. So yeah, they really, they want that information and they want it a lot quicker. I mean, when we first started doing digital, we were doing digital reporting by the quarter, which I don't know how we were even making decisions. And um, it was probably just impressions, clicks, and exactly, click through rate. Exactly. Um, and now, you know, my our team's in there every day, if if not multiple times a day. Not to mention if you're doing you know, rich media ads or right. engagement, um, video ads, and all that stuff. Do you uh, do y'all... Uh, I know connected TVs, kind of the buzzword. Y'all mm -hmm. still buy pre-roll and video on other platforms? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it can be s still a great strategy for certain goals. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So that's uh, and even with that said, you know, with certain platforms like Facebook and Instagram, when you're doing creative, you kind of have to treat the creative differently. Like somebody would be utilizing that experience. When you're scrolling through Facebook, the audio might not be on. So maybe mm -hmm. there's more graphics on that video or maybe you need subtitles on every video because you know, they could be at work watching a video, but they yeah. can read it. That's something that just the little things that people don't realize they need somebody like you to help, you know, figure figure out the plan and the process. Um, so OTT is kind of the buzzword right now. And then data, uh, as far as transparency goes, um, is there anything out there that you would 
tell a future client like, Hey, this is out of an agency, you know, the biz and you're saying, look, these are the things you need to look for in an agency. What would you recommend for somebody who's out there? Who's a brand who's like, I'm dealing, I don't know who to go with. Yeah. Um, definitely as far as the transparency goes, I mean, if they're willing to show you reporting what they're buying, um, how they're buying it. I mean, the, even the way that you set up the audience and the different targeting can be different. Um, and a lot of clients want to see that. And, um, I know that I've worked at other agencies that aren't willing to show all of that information um, and who you're working with, who your partners are. I mean, we share with our clients that we're partnering with Q1, um, and they see that on the flowchart or on the plan or on the reporting. They know who we're working with. And if, you, if an agency isn't willing to share that information, to me, that's a red flag. Because mm-hmm. um, sometimes they're just scared that they could go and do it themselves, um, <laughs> which they could, but we're still saving our clients time and and, um, and we're still the experts at it. So. Yeah. They're, they're hiring you for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so be, be confident in that when people are going out, they're looking for that agency. Just, uh, you know, Catalyst Media is definitely a great player in the market. Uh, trustworthy. Um, is there anything you'd like to add about Catalyst and, and what you guys do? Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, we're paid media only. So there's about 14 of us or a smaller agency in Phoenix, but, um, a hundred percent of the focus is, is media, which is awesome. It's why I went there and awesome to work with and a fun to hang, <laughs> fun you. to hang out with too. We've, we've hung out and uh, you're in Austin. So what I, I guess what's the plan? I mean, just maybe hit up the park or do some stuff for a little while. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to circle it back to the beginning of the conversation where you've asked me about tacos. Where <laughs> oh, should we no. go in Austin for tacos? Oh, you did. You turned it on <laughs> me. This is the first. So I'm, I'm a big fan of all the tacos. I'm not going to be, uh, I'll pick one. Um, my favorite taco place is probably Veracruz. Veracruz. Okay. Um, there are food trucks around town, so you kind of have to find and pick your spot. Um, but that there is a, they have to have a brick and mortar up kind of north, uh, which you'll be kind of in the downtown area. But most of their trailers are on the east side, so you'll have to take a trip to East Austin, okay. uh, where there's a little bit more beards and and hipsters. So, <laughs> uh, but the cocktails are maybe a little bit more expensive and, and maybe a little better, uh, in my opinion. But no, um, Veracruz is really good. But if you want to go check out the big ones, that's Torchy's Tacos. Uh, or Taco Deli. Taco so Deli. Okay. Taco Deli. Remember that. You'll remember Tor- Torchies is the big one. Uh, they're kind of taking over the world right now. They're now all over Texas and now in D- Denver and some other places. So Ooh. there's a taco war going on in Austin. So oh, that's, gosh. yeah, there's a little bit. It's kind of like the red and green yeah. in New Mexico. Right, so you kind of have to pick. Um, but I have I have favorites all over. It's kind of, it's it's breakfast tacos or, or made tacos, gourmet tacos. How can you, how can you go wrong? Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us here, Katie. Yeah, Hope you enjoy you. your stay. Yeah.